Ever ask yourself the question, what do I want to be when I grow up? Or better yet, who do I want to be like? Our influencers play a huge role in that and those who leave the safety of their comfort zones to go be with people unlike us with no judgment, just love. The Apostle Paul did it by being all things to all people. But he doesn't mean what we think he means. Let's explore that on today's A Critical Faith podcast. Here is Pastor Sue Collar. Paul was one of the most active evangelists in the early church. He had experienced for himself the life-changing grace of Christ in his own life, and his singular purpose, a singular goal, was to see that as many other people as possible could experience that in their lives. In 1 Corinthians 9, he tells us how he goes about that calling. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe betide me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation, I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I might by any means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. I have been thinking this week about people I admire. Most of them are not rich and famous, although some of you may have heard of like, you know, 96-year-old Jimmy Carter still swinging a hammer for Habitat for Humanity. I admire that. And when I grow up, I want to be like him. But most of the people that I was thinking of this week, you never would have heard of. One of them was Rusty. Rusty was a drug dealer. He uh, had cancer and ended up in the prison hospital thanks to his cancer there and a visit from the uh, prison chaplain. He made a turn in his life. By the time I met him, he'd gone to seminary. He was a pastor and he was a counselor in the juvenile detention system in San Francisco. He gifted his car, it was a beat up car, but he gifted his car to a young man right out of prison so he would have transportation to get to a job and thus a second chance. Another one I was thinking about is Richard. When Richard retired, he started volunteering for the Red Cross and he now travels all over the country helping out at Red Cross sites in in areas where there's been a disaster. That's what he does in his retirement years. I actually have several friends who've done that. They've retired and one couple travels all over the country. That's pretty much all they do. 
volunteering everywhere they go. I want to be like them. There's another friend, won't mention his name because there's actually a possibility he might be watching and I don't want to embarrass him, but I swear he knows the name of every single server and every single restaurant he's ever eaten at. He just has that gift for connecting with people and learning about them in like 30 seconds and he has their whole life story and their best friends after that. I want to be like him. When I think about these friends and what it is about them that inspires me, it, it really comes down to two things. First is that every single one of them is at home no matter where they are. They could be hobnobbing with the rich and famous, or they could be sitting on a bench next to someone who's homeless, and they will be equally at home in both places. It's like they've always been there. And the other thing is that every single one of them sees that other person before them with the eyes of Christ. These friends of mine are not out there looking for poor people to serve or fix. They aren't out there trying to help hopeless souls who have no help. They, they aren't trying to uh, make, make other people into objects of their mission. In fact, they don't even see it as their job to save people. They see it as their job simply to be Christ with people, whoever they happen to be with, to share Christ's love, to share Christ's grace, Christ's forgiveness when necessary, to embrace others with the love of Christ wherever they're at. There is a simplicity and an honesty in that relationship that I find very refreshing. And, and I watch them, and I watch them interact with others, and, and truly I, I sit there and think I want to be like them because it comes so natural to them and it has such an impact on that person that they are with. You can see it. And they remember it the next time my friends are back. There, there's a refreshing honest in those relationships. Their only ulterior motive is to share God's love and lift somebody up. That's it. Which means that they are not out there making friends to get another church member. And they are not out there waving signs on the corner saying, the end of the world is near, repent. They are not beating people up with their faith. They aren't trying to meet a need just to get a gold star or recognition. They are simply being Christ with that other person. Notice I'm saying with and not to. I realized as I was working on this sermon that so often we talk about let's be Christ to that other person. And it feels so much like we are doing something to that other person without asking them if they want it. And that's not what I'm seeing with these people I admire. They are being Christ with the other person. It's a relationship among equals. That is what they're doing. They're simply being Christ with that other person. As we look at Paul's letter, Paul really embraces that concept of being Christ with another person. He talks in the first part of our section that we read about the obligation he has to preach. And he does feel that obligation. It weighs very heavily on him, but it's also a very light sense of obligation his life has been changed by God's grace, God's forgiveness, by his meeting with the risen Christ uh, as he was out persecuting Christians. He can't think of anything greater to do in response than to share that with others. But he speaks about it as an obligation. But if we read the rest of his letters, we really see that he sees it as a privilege as well as a calling from God. He wants to share with others the same kind of transforming love and grace and forgiveness that he received from Jesus Christ. He looks out into the world and he sees 
people everywhere he turns who are lost, who are filled with shame, who are beating themselves up, or who are struggling under weights they can't bear anymore. And all he wants to do is go to them and say, there is freedom in Christ. There is love in Christ. You have value in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. That is what he feels called to do. It's what he wants to do. What he talks about in this section in 1 Corinthians 9 is kind of his strategy for doing that. I'm going to read just a bit of that again because, to be honest, there are some things in here that are a little uncomfortable. He says, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law to win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law to win those who are outside the law. To the weak I became weak so I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by any means I may save some. The problematic things with that scripture, with the way Paul has approached it, one is something he never, ever would have thought about, but it is very much in our thoughts today. And that's where he talks about willingly becoming a slave. It's kind of an arrogant thing for a free person to say, to think that they understand what that reality is like for someone who is truly a slave. We're very much conscious of that today, especially this month, Black History Month. We are very much aware as we read this text that to think that we could know what it was like to be a slave in this country as a black person, if we are white, if we are free, we can never know what that is like. And to pretend that we could, or that we could put ourselves in the shoes of a slave and have any concept of it, is actually experienced very insulting by many uh, African Americans today. And so we just want to recognize that and be conscious of that. The other thing in here that's uncomfortable is when Paul says, I make myself all things to all people. The idea of that almost makes it sound like Paul has no values, no standards. Anything goes. Whatever he needs to say to make somebody else happy, to convert someone else to faith in Christ is fair game. Churches get accused of that a lot. Churches get accused of modifying what we believe to fit the culture in which we live. We get accused of watering down the faith so that we don't offend people of no faith in our culture or of a different faith. It's not true, but there is a line there that we have to find. And we have to find that line. What's the line between, you know, how much do we change what we do to accommodate the culture in which we live, and how much do we say, this is non-negotiable. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we do. Where is that line? That is something churches always have to be struggling with. And it's not like you could find that line and never think about it again. As our world changes around us, we're always wrestling with, where's that line? Because we don't, as a church, want to say, hey, nothing matters here. Whatever you believe is fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever you want to say is fine. We can't do that as a church. If we have no values, no, no common faith, no standards, then who are we? What do we stand for? What are we inviting people to be a part of? So when we read that line from Paul, it can hit us the wrong way when we first... But Paul is not talking about throwing everything out just to 
appease those he is with. He's not talking about compromising his faith. He's talking about meeting people where they are at. In this context, we can understand better his comment about becoming like a slave. In ancient society, a slave adapted his or her lifestyle to that of the master to better serve the master. The slave gave up their identity and their experiences and their way of doing things so that they can make life easier for their master. Theologian Alvin Padilla says that to willingly become a slave was to give up a particular identity and personal experience to inhabit the social world of another. It's like I recognize the culture that I grew up in, that I have been a part of, that has shaped me, the experiences of that, and I willingly set that aside so I could enter into your world, your social construct, so that I can better serve you. When we think about Paul's words with that idea, we get a different view of Paul. He's actually talking about truly meeting people where they are at. Again, not compromising his faith, but setting aside all of that baggage that he carries that gets in the way of understanding somebody else and where they're at, putting that aside so he can truly be with a person, understand them, and communicate the gospel to them in language that is meaningful for them, that they can understand. There's a text in Acts where uh, Paul is in Athens. And the wonderful example of how Paul does this, uh, Paul knows there are no other gods but God and Jesus Christ. And yet he looks around Athens to all of these monuments and temples to the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And he looks around and he sees one that's labeled to an unknown god. And he says, let me tell you who that god is. He learned, of course, he grew up in that culture, but he learned about that culture. And he used their culture, their customs, their language to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. When he says, I have become all things to all people. I have made myself a slave, a Jew, as one under the law or outside the law. He is talking about meeting people where they're at, going to them instead of expecting them to come to him. He's talking about learning their language, their customs, their culture, and not expecting them to learn his. At no time does he dilute his faith or his teaching. Rather, he uses the language and customs of those he's trying to reach to communicate the gospel to them. I think about those friends who inspire me, the ones I want to be like when I grow up, and that's what they're doing. They are wanting to share God's love with others, but they aren't coming in and saying, you have to accept my words and my language. They're coming in to actually get to know people and to see where the need is and then talk to them about how God is a part of that. They don't, again, stand on the corners preaching that judgment is near. They aren't beating people up with their faith. They are entering the world of that other person and living it so it can be seen. The gospel of Christ is a gospel of love, a gospel of forgiveness, a gospel of grace, and a gospel of hope. That's the gospel they live. And they embody it in everything they say and do even if they never mention the name Jesus or God. These are people who can sit next to a person who's homeless as easily as a CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company because they genuinely love God 
and they genuinely love others. And because it is a genuine love, it doesn't matter who that other person is. They meet them equally. They learn the language that speaks to them. They learn the customs that shape their lives so they can be Christ with them. That requires a shift for those of us in the church. It really does. It shouldn't, but it, it does because we are so used to thinking when we talk about the E word, evangelism, we are so used to thinking in terms of how do we get more people to church. And in all honesty, I think we tend to forget or push aside the saving power of Christ for the sake of getting more people in the pews. So, what do we do? We focus our efforts on getting people to come to us. And then when they come to us, we focus on teaching them how we do things so that they can fit in with us better. The, the reality is we're actually doing it so we feel more comfortable, not them. But we make it sound like it's all about helping them be more comfortable. One of my uh, favorite examples of this, it was a, sadly a church I served, um, but it happens in every church. We had um, potlucks and one of our new members came down to the kitchen and was uh, helping out in the kitchen and was loading the dishwasher. And she was, shall we say, firmly but politely told she was loading the dishwasher incorrectly. That wasn't how we do it here. You want to guess whether we saw that new member again? We tend to focus our efforts on getting people to come to us and to be like us. We forget that first and foremost, we worship ascending God who sent Jesus Christ to us to be in the trenches with us. We worship a God who sent Christ to put on our flesh, to enter our reality, to learn our language, to better connect with us where we are at. It wasn't about making us all into cookie-cutter Christians. I think God's hope is that, like Paul, we might be so transformed by God's love in our own lives that we would actually embody that to others. And I think both inside the church and outside the church, for my example, I think we need it in both places. But I think primarily God is hoping that we will be out there embodying this love, this forgiveness, this transforming power when we're out in the world with people who may never have set foot inside a church, who may never have heard or experienced that love in their lives. And the gospel reading from Mark uh, Jesus has had a long day. He's gone to bed. He's been healing people, casting out demons. People have been flocking to him. He calls it a night. He gets up early the next morning, goes off to pray. And then his disciples come hunting for him. They say, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus has a choice there. He can go back and continue to heal and cast out demons. It's kind of hard to argue that that's a bad thing to do. He could stay where he was, knowing that people would look for him, that they would eventually find him, that they would come. But he chose the third option to say, i got to move on. I was sent for more people than just this community. I need to go preach this gospel in the next town, in the next town, in the next town, where they haven't heard about this love, where they haven't experienced this kind of healing in their lives. We worship a God who sends us out to meet people where they are at, to speak to them in their language, to learn about them so we can share with them God's love in a way that's meaningful to them and not just us. So what does this look like? 
I think of Rusty and Richard and all the other friends that I have who spend more time outside the church than inside the church. Getting to know people, again, learning their language, learning their custom, learning what's important to them and just being with them, building that relationship. It looks like offering a helping hand without any sense of judgment whatsoever. It looks like going that extra mile to help someone or to listen someone to someone so you could be Christ with them in that moment. What if instead of asking people to come to us, we went to them? What if instead of asking people to learn our ways, we learned their ways? What if we let Christ's light shine beyond the walls of our church? Those of you who are extroverts are probably listening to this and going, yeah, let's do that. Sign me up. Those of us who are introverts are quaking in our boots. This scares us to death. Not because we don't love God and don't want to share God's love with others, but it's just this whole idea of getting out of our comfort zone and going to places where we don't know the language and we don't know the customs and we don't know the people. As an introvert, let me help you out with that. The times I have felt most fulfilled have not necessarily been the times I have been doing the work that you, this church, have hired me for, but the times when I've been doing the work God has called me to. There is a difference sometimes to that. It's when I am being Christ with another, not because it's my job, but because love has called me to that place and to that person. When I am Christ with another, my nervousness goes away, my shyness goes away, my fear goes away. But here's the thing. I can't let my introversion be my excuse for not showing up. So find a friend. That's what I admire about my friends is sometimes they're off on their own and sometimes they're with somebody else. Take an extrovert with you. Go out there and just be with people. Be Christ for those who have not yet heard or experienced the life-changing power of God in their lives. Be with those who may have just simply forgotten it and need a friend to remind them. So find a friend if you need to, but go to where people are hurting, go to where people are dying, go to where people are afraid, go to where people are sad or depressed or overwhelmed, and sit down with them and learn about them. And just through your presence, be the love of God to them. Be love, be mercy, be forgiveness, embody hope, embody Christ. Go out there and be the good news. Thanks for joining us today as we nurture a faith that changes lives to create a life in a church where curiosity is encouraged, diversity is welcomed, and all are loved. Join us again next week for a Critical Faith podcast by First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. And don't forget to check us out at our new website, fpclincoln.org. That's fpclincoln.org.